Welcome to episode two of Talk Mental Health with Logan Noon. I'm a second year medical student and you're going to hear from one of my classmates today. She's really fun. I guarantee you're going to laugh out loud during this podcast. And Megan really has an interesting story. She's dealt with OCD for many, many years, but was able to still succeed and remain driven and ambitious. But shortly after starting medical school, she was diagnosed with ADHD. So without further ado, I want to introduce Megan. I think you guys are going to like this podcast a lot. And please leave your comments or reach out to us after your listen. Thanks again. So Logan and I are in medical school together. And I'm trying to remember the exact first time I met you. I was thinking about that on the drive over here. I was like, so when did I first meet Logan? And I'm sure I met you in the sea of people. Mm-hmm. But I really feel like we started to bomb when we were in the same anatomy group. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were an upper limb on that small cadaver, and you would just get totally into the body and get all the, like, fat on it. Uh-huh. And armpit. It was yeah. Armpit, and it was totally great, and you guys all had glasses and uh, beards. And, that's and right. And I came to school one day with glasses and beard because I just wanted to be cool and part of the group. Nice. I feel yeah, like that's all. right, really, when I got to know you better. Okay. Yeah. And then at that point, had I already told people that I had bipolar disorder? Did you know? I think so. I mean, I remember seeing your face at school, and then you had posted something on either the Facebook page or your own personal Facebook page. I think both. Probably both. And it was about your bipolar disorder, and I remember watching it and being like, oh my gosh, this is great. And actually, now that we're talking about this, I remember coming up to you, and I was like, hey, thank you. Thank you for putting that on the internet. Yeah, I remember that. I struggle with OCD, Uh and it's just really nice to know that someone else is open about talking about their mental health issues yeah and I think that's important that we talk about that and I think that was kind of like our first like oh okay because you know I think I don't know about you but I feel like people often are not comfortable talking about their mental health problems and so seeing someone make a video blog YouTube post about it, I was like dang this kid knows what he's talking about uh, well so. it's happened to me twice now the first time that I posted about my bipolar disorder ever like, I, I anticipated the results would be good, but it was even better than I anticipated. And I also met a ton of other people that either had bipolar disorder or had it in their family or maybe mm-hmm. knew somebody or friends. But then when I posted in medical school, I still sort of thought I'd be this weird, strange anomaly no. where no one else probably had mental illness. Maybe they just, you know, were all educated people at this point, knew a lot about it. But to my surprise, like... I met you right after, Mm -hmm. and then a whole slew of people Mm -hmm. came out to me about their mental health struggles or same as before, kind of like in their family sort of thing. So it's been a really positive experience. Yeah, which is so great to hear. I mean, I know that when I first kind of came to terms with the fact I had OCD, everyone was actually, once I talked to them about it, would come up with some story, like you just said, like either Mm -hmm. about themselves about a family member, and it's just something that people just don't talk about. And so I think this is great that you're starting this podcast system because I think it's mm-hmm. just important that people know that it's normal for people to be going through this and that yeah. it's it's good that we talk about it you know it's a disease just like having diabetes or something else it's something that people suffer from and it affects their day-to-day life yeah so you've had OC how old are you now so I'm 27 right 27, now 27 and when were you diagnosed with OCD diagnosed diagnosed probably 19 okay age 19 but my parents think I've had OCD symptoms since forever. I was for, forever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Even as a kid. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And now does OCD run in your family at all? We have some history of anxiety and depression, but never no OCD. Okay. Yeah. And then we both went to that talk a few weeks ago. We go to Pacific Northwest University. We didn't Ooh, say that. Go Mustangs. Hell yeah. We're Mustangs. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but about OCD. And mm-hmm. I remember how it was described was the resident from the resident from the Mayo Clinic was saying that OCD is essentially the worst version of anxiety that he's encountered. Would you agree with that, or how would you kind of describe your OCD? Well, it's interesting. When you told me that, I thought that was really interesting because, you know, I don't really know what to compare it to because uh-huh. this is, like, the anxiety I feel every day. Um, I know that it, it is very burdensome because it comes up all the time. It mm-hmm. even comes up in my sleep sometimes. Like some days I'm doing OCD rituals in my dreams, and that's oh, wow. very, very um, frustrating when that happens. It doesn't happen all the time, hardly ever, but when it does, it's just you wake up and you're like, I've been anxious all night long. And normally when you sleep, it's your time to like recover and not be in that world mm-hmm. of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
but yeah, so I mean, I, I think I've had OCD. I mean, I remember kind of the moment where it all kind of started. I was 11. One of my really good friends, moms randomly passed away. Mm-hmm. And um, so some therapists think that's PTSD. I think it was just kind of like one of those like genetic things where like you might be predisposed to have a mental health condition yeah. and then some event happened that kind of triggered it. And to me, I think that's kind of what started it because ever since that, then I remember just being anxious, particularly about my parents or like if I don't flick the lights on enough four times that mm-hmm. something bad's going to happen to my mom or something like that. Because uh-huh. my, it was, my friend's mom was like the first person I never knew that had died. And like she'd taken me home from softball practice the day before and the next day okay. she was gone. So, and that's kind of, I think, where it kicked off. Because I remember spending, doing rituals, like, in the bathroom in middle school. And uh, then my parents actually told me I should go to therapy in high school. But I have very interesting opinions about therapy and what may or may yeah. not work. Um, the therapy I was doing in my freshman year of high school, I was just not ready. Like, I was mentally not ready. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was had accepted that that was part of me and it just made me more anxious. So I stopped and I did get better for a while and then it got really bad my sophomore year of college and that's okay. really when I had to come to terms with it. Okay, interesting. I was yeah. I was kind of right around the same age then I guess when I was diagnosed with yeah. bipolar disorder. I was a little bit older I guess than sophomore of college, June, no, senior I guess. But mm-hmm. I started to really have severe symptoms junior year of undergrad. Okay. But kind of like you said a stressful situation. Yeah, that's scratching. That's the cat's stomach. Yeah, I figured it. They can't get through that door. <laughs> um, my junior year, I was studying abroad in University of St. Andrews in Scotland. And mm-hmm. that was the first time I had really lived away from my family and, you know, 99% of my friends. I had like one friend out in Scotland when I first moved there. But it was, I felt all alone. And I think mm-hmm. that stress kind of induced the initial depression for me. Mm-hmm. Because I had experienced maybe some depression here and there growing up, but not really until that study abroad experience. And then the mania component was kind of, I think, induced by stress once again. Because it was the first breakup with my like first real serious relationship. Mm-hmm. And I remember right after being diagnosed, I was trying to in my mind, essentially blame that relationship. Like, oh, like if I had never dated that person, I would not have been where I am today. But I think in reality, at some point I would have had some stressful situation Mm -hmm. that would have triggered that off where I would have had some manic episode, gone off the rails. And thankfully, uh, the situation I was in with that breakup, I was in a safe place where supported by family and friends and they were able to get me into the psych psych ward when I needed it. Yeah. So you were... When you were diagnosed at 15, you said? 19. Oh, 19, excuse me. Yeah. Okay, but when did your parents and you start to notice maybe you were a little doing things differently? Yeah. So when I was a kid, even when I was like four or five, apparently I would just be really worried about family members and stuff, and I would just like bring up things, and they were like, huh, what's going on? And my parents are both physicians, and um, they actually did some research. They didn't do research, but they've looked up. There's this thing called PANDAS, Pediatric Autoimmune something or other, mm-hmm. where they've actually linked really bad strep infections to OCD later in life. Oh, okay. And I had a really bad uh, reaction to sulfa medications as a kid, mm. um, and I'm allergic to sulfa, um, but, and it had to do something with strep, and so my parents have an idea that that might be related. Who knows? Okay. But, um, but that happened when I was a kid, and, uh, and I think personally, I think, like I said, I think when I was about 11 is when I can remember starting to have more, like, compulsions and obsessions and stuff that I needed to do and then kind of like you I mean when I was 19 is when I got really bad my sophomore year of college I had spent this summer in Panama working for this program and spent a lot of time by myself and not in my normal comfort zone and mm-hmm. um, my mom I remember her telling me like you left to go on that trip and came back two different people mm. and she, she I mean I think you know maybe that was a trigger too because that it made it that much worse my OCD because I feel like my freshman year of college, it wasn't, I mean, it was, it's always kind of there, right? No matter what happens, but it was definitely manageable my freshman year of college. And then my sophomore year, it was like, I had to drop out of all my classes, okay. lost a lot of weight, you know, wasn't showering or eating okay. and that type of stuff. And you were diagnosed by a psychiatrist? So I didn't see a psychiatrist for a while. Um, it was more actually my family doctor who kind okay. of, um, I mean, it was more like my parents thought I had that 
diagnosis because yeah. but ethically like they can't but they ethically yeah. can't diagnose okay. me um so i went to a family doctor and he was like yeah and so he put me on prozac okay. at that point um initially when i was younger in high school when my parents thought i was bad they didn't want me to be taking any ssris or any mm-hmm. medication because you know still developing at that point but <clears throat> but i'm glad the prozac is really helpful i mean it's very gentle drug, I like to say, because mm-hmm. um, it definitely doesn't cure your OCD, but it definitely makes you feel more in control than you normally do. At least it does for me. And have you been on that now since you've been 19, or has it changed over time? So I was on it from 19, age 19, for probably a couple years, and then I actually ended up being like, I don't think I need this anymore, okay. and I weaned myself off of it. And then I wasn't on it again until last summer, right before I started medical school. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm on it again now, but... Um, I wasn't on it for probably four or five years, including my time when I was in Peace Corps and stuff, where oh, it was kind of a triggering situation, but I was fine there. So. Okay. And have you eventually seen a psychiatrist? I saw one once in college. Okay. Um, but I've only actually seen a psychiatrist once. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're hard to see. There's not yeah. a lot out there. Yeah. So now you mentioned therapy. Did you potentially seek out a therapist prior to that episode when you were 19? No, I didn't. So basically when I was in high school, my parents, I think, just noticed my activity and behavior. And they were like, you know what, I think you need to go to therapy. I don't really remember that. But I remember them taking me to a therapist and she was doing CBT with me. So cognitive behavioral therapy. So, you know, the kind of the idea behind that, especially with OCD patients, and I think probably with everybody with anxiety is like you expose yourself to something that makes you anxious. And instead of you know, going and flicking the lights on and off four times or whatever you need to do to feel better, you're supposed to sit with anxiety and wait and then eventually it'll go away. Well, it just wasn't working for me back then. I didn't, I don't think I was totally aware what was happening with me. I hadn't really like decided that this was an issue for me yet. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really have the tools to deal with that anxiety I felt while I was not supposed to be doing my compulsions, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I think like now I could maybe do that because in high college, I did DBT, which is dialectical behavioral therapy, which is a different type of therapy that I think everyone should use, no mm-hmm. matter who you are, because it talks about mindfulness and interpersonal relationships and all this stuff that we all deal with, no matter who you are, regardless if you have a mental health problem or not. And it basically gives me a whole toolbox of just realizing this thought is just a thought. It's just how I'm thinking right now, and it's okay that I'm thinking this, and you know, kind of taking away extra feelings and just realizing it's just a thought, nothing more, nothing less, and not, you know. So if I had to sit with a thought, it'd be a lot easier to do that, just knowing this is just a thought and this too shall pass, rather than putting so much meaning behind that thought. That Mm -hmm. would be disturbing, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the concept of mindfulness, I think, is something, really the biggest benefit I got out of therapy. And what I always tell people who are seeking therapy, it's it's like speed dating. (laughs) If you're not... Getting along with somebody, you got to just move on. Yeah. There's a lot of therapists out there. So I eventually found a therapist that I really liked, and he got me into, like, all of mindfulness and meditation. Mm-hmm. And so do you use any meditation to control any of your OCD? Or, AD, or, or, or ADHD. ADHD. Yeah. yeah, so I also have ADHD, fun yeah. fact. Just, just throw it in there. Just you know, got, no a, big deal. Yeah. got a diagnosis here. Pretty exciting. Woohoo! Officially. Um, I try to. I need to try to do that more. I use it a lot sometimes when I'm trying to fall asleep. Yeah. And I find my thoughts racing and I'm just like, all right, let's take a moment to just try to bring it back to mindfulness to calm yourself down before you can fall asleep. Okay. Yeah. So I I do try to use that more. I mean, this summer I was really anxious before starting medical school because I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, oh, I was going to say, and one thing, the two times I was the least stressed this whole summer was I climbed Mount Rainier with my brother yeah and that was like you needed to be focusing on what you're doing because the misstep could be an injury or something yep. bad and then I fly fishing with my dad interesting yeah. out of left field fly fishing uh-huh. fly fish Wait, OCD or for my OCD yeah huh because OCD and ADHD are very interesting mix because OCD right makes you obsessed about one thought but your ADHD makes you be like squirrel and think about all this other yeah. thing. So it's a kind of a weird, I think they're all just kind of under the whole umbrella of anxiety Probably, disorders. Yeah. Um, but fishing was really nice for me because I'm outside and just watching the water go mm-hmm. and paying attention to your fly and seeing if it's just, you kind of have to be in the moment. 
Exactly. And uh, and I think that's a form of meditation. Oh, it totally is. Like, I don't think meditation has to be always listening to, like, yoga music with a candle on, like, yeah. hum. Like, I, I like to say I meditate like that, and I think it's beneficial, but just simply weightlifting, mm -hmm. golfing is a big version mm -hmm. of meditation for me, skiing or just yeah, skiing. running. Mm -hmm. Just any version, I think, is so beneficial for not even people like me and you who are diagnosed with mm -hmm. mental illness, but everyone, because yeah. everyone has mental health sort of yeah. issues. So what I'd like to hear about is more almost the bad aspects and challenges of what you've gone mm -hmm. through, and then sort of the treatment and management, and because, frankly so, you're killing it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you're in med school, no big deal. And with aspirations of being uh, what? Family doctor. Family doctor, mm -hmm. like the parents. Following yep, like students. the parents. Excellent. Yep. That's very cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, when I think of OCD, at least, let's start with OCD first. Yeah. Me and my fiance were talking about this, like, I don't know, being super clean with everything, mm -hmm. touching the door or like turning, like you said, the lights on and off, kind of stuff we see in the movies most of the time. So do you have some of the aspects of the OCD in movies sort of thing? Or do you also have additional aspects that people like me would never really think of? Yeah. So so that's a very interesting question. So OCD, there's so many different categories of OCD that you can hear about. A lot of them is the cleaning kind. The things have to be just so. A lot of times you know, there's the classic, like, people that need to wash their hands all the time. You can tell on their hands because they're all chapped from cleaning all the time. I do not have that problem. I'm kind mm -hmm. of the opposite. I'm very okay. messy. Um, and then there's people who are like super religious and feel like they have to do certain prayers a certain number of times. There's trichotillomania. Have you heard of that before? Uh, is that pulling out the hair? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's different hoarding is a form of OCD as well, supposedly. Mm -hmm. So I would say, I mean, I, my OCD is kind of like, so the obsessions have always been the same. Mine are kind of that something bad's going to happen to someone I love if I don't do certain things. And so, um, for example, I have a hard time reading like newspaper articles okay. because I'll read about something sad that happened or I have a hard time watching certain movies or TV shows when I know certain characters are going to die or and it's not the person who dies that I'm sad about. It's like the family members that are left behind mm. that like have to deal with all of that. OK, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's kind of like my obsessions, I would say. Um, and then the compulsions have kind of changed throughout the years because when I was younger, I used to flick the lights on and off all the time. Even okay. numbers are better than odd numbers. Can't tell you why, but they are. Okay. Um, and so I would go flick the lights on and off like four times or whatever. Okay. And, and that's something I feel like we always see in the movies. Yeah. And that, yeah. that, that that's a real thing. I mean, I remember in undergrad, um, one of the first people I ever told that I had OCD is one of my best friends, Jamie. And I was going into her dorm room and I like walked in and out of the door like four times mm -hmm. and she's like oh a little OCD now are we and I was like actually yeah I have OCD <laughs> and she felt like a real mean person it got awkward real quick but it was yeah. good because I was like well no yeah I do have it and she's like what so then we talked about that and she really really helped me through my struggles in undergrad and she still helps me today. I wonder if I should really throw people off like that when they're like the weather is so bipolar and I'd be like well interesting you say that yeah. but well, I mean, I think it's a learning opportunity because a lot of times in movies and stuff, they have this stereotypical way that OCD is supposed to present itself. So when, pe when I tell people I have OCD, a lot of times people are like, well, but you're really messy. Like, you don't have OCD. And I'm like, no, actually, I do. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, also, really interesting comment we can come back to later. But so 2009, was I was really bad with my OCD. And, and then, this was at what stage of your life? Was I was so sophomore of college. And then the summer, 2017, before I started med school, I had a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Well, between those eight years, there's been so much more that has come out about OCD and how mm -hmm. to cure it and how what to do, which is amazing because if you just search on, you know, the internet OCD, like before there was way less resources than there are now. Yeah. So it's cool to be part of this movement to make this more a normalized thing that we should so help each other with. So how has your treatment changed over that eight-year period for your OCD? Well, I, so I don't currently see it. A therapist. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking about working on that this summer, actually, because I won't be in school this summer. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, I think I think I'm a lot better now at knowing when I need to prioritize me 
prioritize yeah. my mental health rather than necessarily getting something done for school. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I know that if I don't take care of myself, I can't focus and I can't get the stuff that I need to get school. done. Yeah. Exactly. So whether that's hanging out with a friend or calling my mom or, you know, like going outside or whatever like that, like that's really helpful to, I think I'm a lot better at failure and a lot better at being comfortable with things being uncomfortable because I've been in that kind of stage in my life where I had no hope, you yeah. know? And, like, was able to pull myself out with a lot of help from family and friends. So yeah. didn't do it by myself. But, like, it's it sucks to get low, but it also is good because when you get back out of it, you can look back and retrospectively be like, well, it wasn't. it's not as bad now as it was then, and I was able to survive that. So this too shall pass. Yeah. You know? Well, the thing I feel like about management of mental illness or really any mental health, it's so complicated that, sadly, normally you do need all that social support mm-hmm. between your family and friends and uh, not all the people who have mental illness have that social support. Mm-hmm. And so another thing you said, I, I big reason why I wanted to create this podcast mm-hmm. is I feel like medical students, physicians, if we're going to be expected to take care of patients, we first have to make ourselves our first patient mm-hmm. and enable us to be the best doctor that we can be to take care of everyone else. And so, I mean, the, the numbers on burnout, medical student phys- suicide, physician suicide, addiction problems, whatever it may be, really scare me. And I think if we're going to motivate our patients to seek out mental health treatment, we ourselves have to look at our own community and realize how can we fix this to hopefully motivate them as well. Um, So what are you doing for your OCD now that you feel is working well? Um, Well, I think getting enough sleep Mm -hmm. is really helpful. Um, Taking my Prozac is helpful. Keeping in touch with family and friends, even if they're not here, is helpful. Um, I think one thing that was really good about when I was really sick in 2009 is I was able to get the tools that, like, now actually being really busy is helpful for my OCD. Really? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Because it's still there, but I, I'm a lot better at being like, all right, you need to focus on what's in front of you okay. right now. Like, so during tests, my sophomore year of college, I was taking an anatomy class, and we yeah. had pre- time practicals. And it was absolutely horrible because I'd get, what, a minute at every station? Yeah. And during the first 30 seconds or whatever, I would be doing rituals in my head to oh, try to yeah. feel better. Yeah. And then if then I would only have 30 seconds to answer yeah. the question. Or I would take the whole minute, the bell would go off, and then I would have to start all over on my mm. ritual because sometimes... Now, I, when you say ritual, I don't really know what that means. Ritual. So um, it changes. So when I was younger, it was like flicking lights on and off or walking in and out of yeah, door. Yeah, so you can't do that in an anatomy lab. No. So most of my rituals nowadays are kind of in my head. They're kind of just like kind of reassuring myself that these thoughts are just thoughts. Okay. They don't make you who you are. They, you know, just because you're thinking it doesn't mean it's necessarily true. It's just, you know, it's a thought. That's mm-hmm. all it is. So it kind of is just a word I've read that I like is neutralizing the thought. So okay. like rather than giving it necessarily like a negative connotation, just being like that's a thought and then moving on or whatever like that, you know? Yeah. So, um, cause you know, sometimes I assume certain things like, uh, you know, seeing someone eating by themselves in a restaurant, like that they're a sad person. Well, that's mm. not a th- fair assumption. Yeah. Sometimes people like to be by themselves, eating by themselves in a restaurant. Like I that. eat by myself all the time. Exactly. Yeah. So that's not a bad thing, but for some reason that's mm-hmm. the connotation I have. So like, just, you know. Well, so let me tell you how I neutralize my thoughts. Cause mm-hmm. when you said that, I kind of do the same thing. When I start to feel anxious really in two ways. I call it like the multiple test, Mm -hmm. which is I kind of play this little trick in my head where I'm like, okay, I'm worried about passing cardio, passing anatomy or whatever it may be, or worried about sleeping enough Mm -hmm. tonight. I go, okay, is this, is this issue going to bother me a minute from now? All right. Probably yes. Mm -hmm. But 10 minutes from now, an hour from now, a day, a week, and I just keep extending it out. And once I get to that, you know, month or week, year, whatever sort of portion of that multiple test, I know I'm not going to feel anxious mm-hmm. about this particular particular mm-hmm. issue then. And it helps me kind of neutralize it in that aspect. Huh. That's an interesting But idea. the other way is something kind of analogy that my therapist taught me. He always says anxiety is like whitewater rafting. 
and you're on the raft mm -hmm. and you're just getting thrown all crazy mm -hmm. and sometimes it's calm and awesome and then other times you're just getting you know slammed in the face by the raft yep. or whatever mm -hmm. it may be and so the process of being mindful and meditating is instead of being on that white water raft but standing on the side of the river and just simply observing yeah. and realizing that there's going to be these ebbs and flows to the river and sometimes it's going to be calm, sometimes it's going to be absolutely crazy, but just being able to take a step away and almost observe the river rather than ride the river. And that's kind of the philosophy I like to use. Oh, I, I, I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot because it's true and I think that's an important thing to think about when you are feeling super anxious or you mm -hmm. are feeling in a rut even just in day-to-day -day life, is just sometimes you just got to watch it and just know that it's going to be rough sometimes, but that, the you know, the storm is calmest. There's some quote about storms, and then it, <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember the quote. Calmest before a storm. Yeah, calmest before the storm yeah. or whatever. Um, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, that's, that's kind of the way I look at it is it's like, okay, I mean, yeah. So, But I like that analogy of the whitewater rafting. Really yeah, yeah. Powerful. So you're, I don't, think I know anyone else with OCD. Yeah. At least that's open about it. Maybe some people that are following me or listening, yeah. whatever. Mm -hmm. Hopefully they'll reach out to me too. So if you were going to say one word of encouragement or tip to someone who has OCD, what would you want to say? <sighs> mm, that's a good question. Um, don't give up. I mean, I think sometimes I feel really hopeless, you know, that and like, I remember being depressed at one point, and I was depressed because of my OCD, because I was just like, I can't see this ever getting better. Mm -hmm. But I think um, just knowing that you can help other people if you accept it and just realize that's the way it is. And then, because I mean, I think a lot of my like thoughts have to just do with being super empathetic for people and or like compassionate for people. And I think I think that's a benefit of my OCD is the fact that I think it does make me a more empathetic person. I know that before these struggles, I couldn't really have necessarily related to anyone with mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of those things, like it's, I think people who haven't dealt with mental health issues, that is totally great, but I think it's hard for them to relate on the same level because I know like with my own, some family and, from, family and friends, they're like, why can't you just snap out of it? Like, why yeah. are you having troubles getting out of bed? Why can't you go take a shower? Like, I don't get it. Why are you having issues with that? And uh, I think once you've experienced it, you're like, yeah, I, I get it. Like, I've been there. I totally understand why that's a problem. Yeah. Because, you know, you like, like what happens to me a lot of times, I consciously know that what I'm thinking is irrational, but it feels like I need to do that compulsion, whatever that is. Yeah. So it's like, I know this is a dumb thought and has nothing to do and whatever, but I feel like it has so much meaning behind it, even though I wish it didn't, you know? Yeah. So, so I guess one word of advice for OCD patients is just, um, don't give up, but also feel free to talk to people about it. Um, I read this really great book when I was younger. It's called The Thought That Counts, and it was about a young guy who had OCD. And basically, I, my dad found that book. I read it and gave it to all my family and friends and was like, this is how I feel. Okay. Because the thought that counts? The thought that counts. Okay. There's this, like, I don't know if you've heard of it. There's this initiative. We'll put it in the show notes. That's a yeah. thing. Yeah. There's this thing called like the Adolescent Mental Health Initiative, and they, it's actually okay. this series of books. So there's a bunch of books written by different people with different mental health disorders about their particular mental health disorder. And it was really helpful for me to have that book and give it to people because as I was reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, I have felt exactly like this. But I never knew how to verbalize it or tell my family and friends and like be like, this is how I feel sometimes. Have them read it was like, I think really eye-opening to some people and they're like oh mm -hmm. okay because like yeah it's hard to it's i i don't have a hard time talking about it but it's hard for people to sometimes understand where you're coming from because it if that makes sense so. well so now you've been diagnosed ocd for eight years yeah. right mm -hmm. okay. um would you feel it's well managed at this point or has there been kind of ebbs and flows to that as well definitely ebbs and flows i would mm -hmm. say um it's interesting because, uh, like, so I was in the Peace Corps, and when I was applying to the Peace Corps, I was afraid I wasn't going to be accepted because of my mental health issue in the past. And at that time, I was seeing this lovely counselor who, she had to fill out a form for me that said I was mentally stable to go do Peace Corps. Mm -hmm. And I remember her calling me up and being like, hey, so what do you want me to put on your form? Like, I could put that you need certain accommodations, whatever. 
And I said, well, you know, I think I'm up for whatever. And she wrote that. And she's like, well, do this for both of us. Because she had been hospitalized as oh, an wow. adolescent with an eating disorder. So she was rejected from the Peace Corps. She had tried to do the Peace Corps. Oh, wow. But was rejected because of her prior mental health problems. Okay. So I think Peace Corps is getting better at accepting that and everything. But um, so that was kind of a powerful moment that she trusted me enough to make let me make my own calls about where I was at mentally. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm really grateful because my time in Guatemala, a lot of people have really a lot of hard times. There, I had a couple of friends who had to early terminate because of mental health issues and stuff. Yeah. And my mental health was actually pretty good while I was there. Okay. Um. So I definitely go in ebbs and flows of like certain years where it's way better than others. So now, um, do you feel you're managing it though much better? Um. I would say it's okay. Um. It's not the best. I think when we started school, it was really, it was hard. For everybody, but I think um, trying to figure out how my OCD, ADHD that I had just gotten diagnosed with, how that was working. Yeah. Um, and I'm still trying to figure that out too because I haven't tried Adderall or any stimulants for my okay. ADHD because part of me is afraid that if I take a stimulant, it might make my OCD worse. I'm not sure because mm. like if it makes me more focused, if it makes me more focused on school, that'd be great. But if it makes me more focused on my obtrusive thoughts. That's yeah. not what I want, you know? That's an interesting thought. So yeah. um, that might be something I play around with this summer. I'm not sure. Now, is that your own philosophy, or is that um, what the medical community believes also could happen if you do take that medication? Um, I think it's both. Um, I talked to my dad about it, and he was like, well, you could just start out with a really gentle dose of Ritalin or whatever, Okay. and you might be okay. So we'll see i don't know i mean i'm doing all right right now in school yeah um, uh, you're yeah you're doing better this semester than last yeah right? way better this yeah. semester cheers, hey, cheers to that, to that. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah so you know still working on it it's a you okay. know it's a kind of a daily kind of not struggle but i mean like this summer i have this really good book that i bought that a bunch of people it's called how to get rid of your ocd okay. and it's kind of this like 10 step thing that you can work on with a therapist okay and i'm hopefully gonna work on that this summer because it takes a lot of mental energy to go to a therapist and try to work on things and yeah time too and time and i think for me to really try to beat this ocd in the head is i think i need to do what they call like exposure and response therapy Mm -hmm. so things that i'm really afraid about is that like emdr have you heard of that? No, I haven't. It's like a rapid eye movement kind oh. of thing with uh, lights and mostly used for PTSD. Yeah. But I don't know about OCD. Well, I've heard about that. I've also heard about hypnotists, yeah. too, that they can help. Yeah, so, it's not all magic and phony. Supposedly, there is some science to supposedly. it. Supposedly. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Because this is my thing, is I want to be a good doctor. And I think... Boom. Um, I think, you know, one thing I'm afraid about becoming a doctor is telling families that their loved one has died. Mm. or telling someone that their loved one has terminal cancer, or telling someone that they have terminal cancer. I think I'll be good at it because I'm a very empathetic, compassionate person, but I know that that's something that I'm afraid I'm going to take home with me. And is that something you obsess about? Yeah. yeah. That, that's exactly what my obsession is. I think that's like an ultimate fear yeah. of a doctor. You yeah. know, I always think about how I was a baseball player growing up, mm-hmm. so I think I kind of have an, a better philosophy, I feel like, than some other students who maybe didn't grow up playing sports. Can't bat a thousand. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be able to save yeah. every patient. And it's, you know, I like to always say in high school, I led my team in home runs, triples, and strikeouts. There you go. You yeah. know, so it's, I, I know I'm not always going to win, especially as a psychiatrist. I feel like mm-hmm. it's it's going to be very challenging. And yeah. I don't know how many wins I really will get. But that's a philosophy I think we all have to be very mindful of. That, yeah. you know, we, we learn and we want to succeed on all these tests above 70% where it may be. Are we realistically going to save 70% of our patients with this particular disease? Like, depends on the disease, you know? Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, well, so a couple of things that you mentioned that I wanted to comment on. So you were talking about how medical school and OCD, it almost helped with your management of OCD because you were so busy. And I, I remember thinking, my anxiety is much, much worse when I'm bored. Yeah, mine too. And when I have nothing going on, that's when really I mm-hmm. start to get depressed and I feel like a piece of crap and I mm-hmm. get even more lazy. And maybe this this healthy lifestyle of always being busy, always being scheduled is kind of helping also with my yeah. mood management. Um, so the other thing I wanted to kind of comment on is, so um, what year were you diagnosed again? It was 2009. Probably- 
Okay, so I was 2011, so I've had bipolar disorder now for seven years or so, and I actually right now can say that it's very well managed, mm -hmm. and I haven't had too many new issues at least, and mm -hmm. I'll get into some of those new issues, but I think you're in a very interesting situation because you have one challenge that's been lingering since mm -hmm. you were, you know, 10 years or whatever, um, but now this other new challenge, ADHD, mm -hmm. that you've been dealing with, so... Yeah. You know, how has that been different dealing with a new challenge? Um, what have been, you know, some of the struggling things you've been dealing with, but also maybe some of the triumphs or things that you've found that worked for you so yeah. far? Well, so to your first comment about um, being busier, like, I think this is this kind of a whole tangent, but like, so I've thought about different specialties that I might want to go into. And I worked in an ER for a while, and I was always wondering what it would be like to see someone die. And in the ER, I actually thought one thing that's nice about the ER for like ADHD and OCD for me is that you have to move on. Like someone dies, you have to t tell the family, but then you have the next patient you have to see right away. And so in some ways I'm like, well, that might be okay because then you have to move on and you don't know that patient. However, you have to be the one to tell people what their loved one's dead, you know, because like family medicine you know the patient's better, so it might hurt you more when that person dies, but you're also usually not there when they actually die. Mm. But if they do die, usually, because the things that come in the ER are more like traumatic stuff, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, well, and almost if you're a family physician, if you think something is going to get bad, you're probably going to seek out a specialist yeah. to help out whatever that yeah. particular problem is. So maybe you only see the beginning of the problem and deal with the end of it, but yeah. don't necessarily see that, you know... And then you can position. exactly, and then you can be part of the you know help for the family too because mm -hmm. like they know you and they trust you and stuff like that. So, anyway, that's an interesting thought. So let's see, my ADHD, my OCD. So let's hear a quick little synopsis of because ADHD is what six months new. Yeah, that's, that's pretty super six new. new. And mm -hmm. I remember when people reach out to me about bipolar disorder, what I always say, maybe you'll agree with OCD as well. I'm like, dude, the first six months to year sucks. Yeah, and I'm sorry, I was on four different medications uh, before I found uh, Depakote, mm -hmm. Valproic Acid, which mm -hmm. I have been on since 2012 now. Yeah. But like I was dealing with side effects of Abilify, restless leg syndrome, yeah, where my uh -huh. leg was always just uh -huh. twitching, and uh, Lamictal. I went through a few other medications. Now, so you're six months into ADHD. Mm -hmm. So let's kind of go through, I guess, the same process, sort of like... Uh, with the diagnosis because like when did you realize there was a problem and now what are you doing to try to manage that issue because at the end of the day while you may still feel like you're struggling and I know me and you both have failed tests at times yes we're still not failures yeah, by any means yeah, uh -huh. we are osteopathic medical students yes, who will are. be dios one day yeah, mm -hmm. and you know the road might be a little bit crooked and bouncy to get mm -hmm. there but we will get there yeah we totally so let's kind of hear this story so, so my senior year of, so I, the OCD was really bad my sophomore year of college mm -hmm. and then I got better and then, but throughout my junior and I think senior year, but definitely my junior year, I was seeing a therapist and that's when I saw the psychologist, the psychiatrist I and guess. they, I talked to them and they said, well, you might also have ADHD. Yeah. Um, you, in fact, you probably do, but I was like, well, I'm about to graduate from undergrad and I'm not going to be in yeah, this. Like I was like, I don't, I, don't, need you. I don't need you. Exactly. I was like, okay, well, the I don't. hell with you, psychiatrist. Exa so I was kind of like. I got like, a bachelor's. I was like, I got my bachelor's. I can <laughs> yeah. go do my thing. And so it wasn't until this year when we started school where I was like, okay, is, is this normal for me to just be so off the walls, not being able to pay attention? Mm -hmm. And so then I <clears throat> took that test that they offer at school. And now, I don't know what that test is. So yeah, why don't you was... educate me and the listeners on that test? Yeah. So it was interesting. So um, we went into a room. There was a computer. Okay. It looked like straight What's out the name of this test? Do you know? Oh, I can't remember. Let's start with a W. I don't think so. Maybe. I we'll put know. it in the show notes. It's fine. Yeah. And also, there's multiple ADHD tests out oh, there. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Curveball. All right. I so you took think. one of the ADHD yeah. tests. Yeah. This okay. one was on a computer. Right. looked like it was from the 60s or 70s. It was okay. like green, janky, green janky black, very yeah. janky. Um, and basically, the first part was like, if you see the number one, click the mouse. You see the number two, don't click the mouse. So they would flash one, two, two, one, whatever order. Okay. And you had to click only when it was a one. And then okay. the second part was they would say the word one, and they'd say the word two, 
instead of the word one, you had to click. If it was two, you wouldn't click. Okay. And the last 20 minutes of the test is they would either say the word one or two or flash the word one or two. Mm -hmm. And if they said the word one or they flashed the word one, you had to click. But if it was two, anything, you wouldn't do it. I'm already confused. Yeah, it's very confusing. But basically, it was 20 minutes, and then it was weird because the therapist was in the corner watching you making notes. What? Yeah. That's creepy. Yeah. What, do you think you're going to cheat on that test? I think it was just more to see how much you were like, you know, like kind of not paying attention. Because I definitely found myself like... Does not. Looking around okay. or like not so paying yeah, attention. You probably flunked or, that. I did. Okay. I mean, it showed I had ADHD. Okay. So, the thing that was funny is. Now, did it show on a certain scale? Yeah. So, my scale, I'm not too bad ADHD okay. compared to other people I know. Okay. Um, mainly because I think my issue really is OCD. I think ADHD is definitely part of it, but I would say the OCD is definitely the okay. overall thing. I think. I'm kind of ADHD because I'm all, I'm very hyper and like. And you just, I guess the definition of ADHD struggle to find, or you struggle to focus. Yeah, exactly. Now, are there certain things you can focus on without even trying and other things that you really have to kind of kick your butt to focus on? Well, I really like um, when I get to talk to people. So our like fake patients that we do. You've been very focused throughout this interview. Well, thank, yes. well, well, exactly. I mean, I think conversations with people are mm-hmm. really good for me because I'm glad you I'm chose this prayer path. Yeah, yes. exactly. And I like talking to people. Me and, and you both probably won't be researchers. Nope. Like I would be a horrible researcher. Yeah. Mainly because if I, like I'm more focused when I someone else would be affected by it, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. So if like I just started looking around here and not talking to you, mm-hmm. that's not me. But if I'm like trying to do like a, so in social situations, you naturally find yourself focusing. Yeah. Now, but when do you find yourself like, oh, my God, I cannot even keep my mind on this for 10 seconds? Uh, a lot of times okay. with our schoolwork. School yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I've gotten better with tests, partly because we have them all the time. Mm. So I've had to get better at that. <clears throat> and um, I got testing accommodations. It's been really helpful for okay. me. I'm in a sm- room with only five other students. I get 15 extra minutes on my test. Mm-hmm. And that's really helpful. For me, the main thing is just being with less people because yeah. I am a very, I'm an extroverted person. And you don't see that one kid that gets up after 20 uh-huh. minutes like, God, I'm so dumb. How is he already finished? Well, it's that. Every time anyone would get up, I would watch them. Any weird yeah. cough, I'd watch them. And also, I feed off other people's energy. Any awkward fart so. in the room, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I feed, fart, yeah. yeah. I feed off other people's energy. So if I'm around 140 people who have an anxiety level of Eight, nine, ten. Oh, people are freaking out before those tests. <clears throat> That's yeah. really uncomfortable for me, as opposed to huh, four okay. or five people. So it's, it's just the environment. It's very much know. the environment, okay. and you know, the other people in the room are there for their whatever reasons. And I think there's just a more like, it's not as crazy feeling. It's like you okay. walk into that room and you already don't feel stressed. Like okay. I would walk into that big lecture hall to take our test and just be like, oh my gosh, everyone is stressing out. So mm-hmm. I feel the stress in this room. And No, I mean, I put on headphones um, mm-hmm. and normally don't actually play music or very little just so I can drown out people around me and no one talks to me before the test. Yeah. Just so I can focus in. Yeah. Because, yeah, I get the same thing. They freak out or they start like quizzing each other and I'm just like, oh, blah, 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 blah. I do not want to know yeah. this. I do not want to know this. It's, I mean, it's a big mental game for me mm-hmm. because it's like if you have someone who's quizzing you before and you don't know it, you're already like, gonna be in a bad mood. Be like, mood. I'm an idiot. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So you gotta kind of just, I don't know, it's a lot more helpful for me to be around people who are not doing that. Okay, test. so since taking this ADD test and, mm-hmm. you know, taking the accommodations, which I know I've talked to some people who could uh, use the accommodations if necessary, but they feel embarrassed to. Yeah. And so I think that's BS because it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, you're entitled to that 15 mm-hmm. minutes or whatever it may be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just stupid. It's not like, I don't know. Well, I think we have a lot of work. And as people who suffer from mental health problems and as future physicians, I mean, I think that's going to be a big part of our career is mm-hmm. trying to make this more normalized. Mm. Um, at least that's the way I feel is in family medicine, I think there's a big avenue for that. Because, you know, I, I know lots of people that I think could use some mental health counseling or whatever and, like, people I'm really close to and I know that they just feel like, Oh, I'm not that bad. I don't need that. You Mm. know? And I know myself sometimes I'm like, I, I know sometimes I get sad when I'm like, Oh yeah, I think I need to go back and do that because I feel like I'm regressing. And I think it's just about matter of educating yourself about what's happening with you 
and realizing it's just another disease and it's just another thing. And I think I have felt depressed in the past just knowing that it's never going to be quote, quote, cured, you know, like I never will wake up one day and not have OCD. Um, And I think that is very frustrating because if you break your arm, well, in six months, you'll be fine for the most part. But with OCD, it's going to be something that I live with till the day I die. And that I think is very discouraging. But I think as someone who has accepted that that's part of me and as a future physician, I think we have we're in a good position to try to help other people realize that this is something that you can work on and that it's just part of you being you. And it also makes you a great person, you know? All right. So I remember there was one conversation I had with my therapist that I remember was pivotal. Because I, my anxiety really couples with my insomnia. And I find late at night, that's when I feel the most anxious. Mm -hmm. And most of my anxiety typically has to do with insomnia. I worry, okay, how many hours Mm -hmm. am I going to sleep tonight? How many hours? And it's been challenging in medical school because we have so little time that I'm like, okay, if I fall asleep at this exact moment, I will get seven hours. You can't fall asleep at this exact moment. I end up laying there thinking about, okay, if I fall asleep now, six and a half. And I just kind of keep doing that math in my head over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And it's super frustrating. So I've learned techniques to relax um, prior to going to bed. And also exercise has really Mm -hmm. been a big benefit for my insomnia. But this one conversation I had with my therapist, I'll never, ever forget. Because I was like, okay, I'm working on these CBT techniques with you. I am still taking my mood stabilizers. When is my anxiety going to go away? He said, never. He's like, you'll always probably have, at some point, a level of anxiety. It's never going to be zero, and you're certainly going to get better at figuring it out throughout the progression of your life. There may be ebbs and flows, you know, but you'll probably get better in the end. Mm-hmm. But it's never going to go away to zero. And that, I think, is uh, a concept a lot of people don't get, because we always assume that mental health has this cure at the end. Mm-hmm. But I really just think it's almost improved management. Yeah, yeah, of everything. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so you're you finally figured out you took these accommodations for ADHD. Um, you talked a little bit about not wanting to use medication management, which that's fine, and yeah. I absolutely respect your decision. I don't really have a stance mm-hmm. one way or the other. Actually, in one of my future episodes, someone who has ADHD wants to come on and talk about. Um, medication management. So it's going to be really cool to kind of see this juxtaposition. Mm -hmm. So what techniques have you used to manage your ADHD? And do those same techniques help ADHD and OCD at the same time? Yeah. I mean, they're definitely interrelated. It's funny. I mean, I definitely know I have ADHD, but I don't really think about it as much as I do like my OCD, just just because I feel like my OCD is just the big sister to the small younger sister of mm-hmm. ADHD. Because um, like you said earlier in this talk about AD- OCD being one of the most um, stre- or, probably said most severe. How would you describe me from that? Um, this, this man was, uh, I guess, a uh, psychiatric resident, which mm-hmm. means the training before becoming an actual psychiatrist mm-hmm. at the Mayo Clinic, one of the best, best residencies mm-hmm. out there. How he described... OCD was basically anxiety as a spectrum and in the most severe corner yeah. was OCD. Yeah. And I was watching actually some YouTube videos on OCD prior to coming here. And it just kind of seemed like this one YouTube video was what it's like to have OCD. And it was this progression of just racing thoughts. Yeah. yeah. And kind of obsessive. Uh, how many? How much did I sleep last night? Did I lock the door? And just yeah. kind of like some of the typical ones that I, I would always expect like we said in movies and whatever, but just, and it all, and it really correlated with anxiety because kind of that, that racing thoughts. And I feel that racing thoughts when I get anxious, especially about my insomnia. And I, I did have some anxiety earlier in the year, mm-hmm. um, more severely with just passing courses. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, probably you do know this feeling yeah. Like we take our test and right before you hit submit, when you're going to find out your score, oh, my God, my heart rate is going through the roof. My anxiety is just through like crazy. And so that's what I've been kind of experiencing. So I'm rambling. I don't even remember my original question. Oh, it's totally fine. I mean, I know I, when I was an undergrad, I remember being like getting into tests and being like, oh, my gosh, if I don't do well in this test, I won't do well in this class. If I don't do well in this class, then I won't graduate from college. If I don't graduate from college, I can't go to med school. And if I can't go to med school, I'm not going to be a doctor. And if I'm not going to be a doctor, I'm not going to be happy. And it's yeah. not going to be what I want to do. 
And that's just not helpful. So actually one thing a therapist taught me back that day was like, try to change that. So instead of those particular thoughts, be like, okay, Logan's wearing glasses. He also has a beard and he has this shirt that has runners on it. And there's a lamp over there and there's a light and there's a calendar. of the. So it's like the fact, you know, not stopping those racing thoughts, but just changing into something that's neutral. That's mm-hmm. not necessarily a negative thought. So that was an interesting thing that I did for a while. I mean, luckily I've gotten past that. So when I take tests and I don't know something, I don't freak out as much because I'm like, well, did what I could, you know, and yeah. it'll be okay. Uh, so I think your original question was about... Um, Dealing with the ADD. ADHD. And what have you been doing mm-hmm. managing it? Um, I think just one thing I do sometimes is when I study, I like take a timer and like be like, okay, I'm going to study cardio for 40 minutes. Okay. And then take a 10-minute break. And then I'm going to study anatomy for 40 minutes and then take a break. Because one thing I have a problem with, with my ADHD or OC or Megan being me, yeah. is just like I'll start one of the things I need to study and then I'll get distracted and start something else. And so then I don't finish one thing. Do you get distracted by something else you need to study or yeah. stupid crap like Facebook or Instagram? Both. All okay. of the above. I mean... It's really easy for me to be like, okay, I'm bored reading about atrial fibrillation. Now I'm going to read about ventricular tachycardia, yeah. you know. And then in, in doing that, I've only read, what, the first couple paragraphs of each one because I'm like, eh, I'm over learning yeah. about that. But um, no, I'll come back to it. And, mm-hmm. and I definitely use a lot of different study strategies. I think as someone who kind of needs, is kind of squirreling all over the place, yeah. it's helpful to have, like, stuff to read. But then it's also helpful to use, like, sketchy videos and different methods of learning because I can't pay attention too long to one type of learning. So realizing that there's multiple ways to get the same information from different sources and different methods of presenting the material has been helpful, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So, but, so now to manage your ADD, ADHD, excuse me, you've kind of adjusted your study methods, but from a more, you know, someone out there who's listening who has ADHD, who's Mm -hmm. not a student, what things have you done outside of simply mm-hmm. your study methods to manage your ADHD? I think just making sure you're taking time to take care of yourself. Because I know that like my anxiety and ADHD are worse when I'm sleep deprived or sad or whatever. So like you won't be as productive if you're in one of those moods. So then you need to like go for a walk with a friend or call somebody or take a bath or go mm-hmm. dancing or listen to some latina music or whatever yeah. that makes you happy whatever that is or ski that's a big thing for me is yeah outside so that's really helpful and then also you know talking about it with people like through talking to, i'm a very extroverted person so talking to people is very helpful so talking to other people like logan or other people who have adhd or other mental health problems or even just a friend just someone to listen to make you realize yeah that sounds difficult and validate the way you're feeling yeah well, one thing, I mean, I think we all can kind of relate to ADHD, mm-hmm, being Generation so. Y or whatever, whatever yeah. we learned today. Because I, 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 it almost seems to me like a spectrum sort of yeah. disorder, where it seems like anyone with a cell phone that at least grew up with it for the majority of their life probably has a minor mm-hmm. aspect of ADHD. And what I've found has worked really well for me, at least for... Because I struggle with focusing too, really my go-to is I get bored, I go on YouTube and watch either car videos or ski videos <laughs> to distract myself from skiing. But I found if I maintain a consistent level of exercise, I almost feel like I tire my body out to the point where my mind can't race to the same capacity mm-hmm. that it would is if I didn't exercise. Mm-hmm. So because my mind isn't racing as much, I can be a little bit more focused, my anxiety levels are lower, and I just feel I can manage it a little bit better. Yeah. So have you incorporated exercise at all or have there been changes over the last few months? I need to get out and exercise more. Yeah, I don't just, we all? I don't. I just get too overwhelmed with school. Recently I've been sleeping a lot, which I don't know if it's necessarily good. Well, were you sleeping too little before you I think I was sleeping too little Let's before. Let's put some numbers on that. What does that mean? Um, so before I was sleeping like four or five hours a night and now yeah, I sleep like six, enough. seven, eight. Yeah. So, You're a normal person again. Yeah. So there you go. So that's a big thing for me is getting okay. restful sleep. Um, yeah, skiing. I would like to spend more time working out and running, getting outside more. I think. Okay, so that's yeah. a goal, I guess, yeah. moving forward. Yeah. Now, yeah. also, you know, we're both medical students, so we might as well kind of keep it on this topic here. Anxiety and caffeine. Mm, yeah. So I noticed that if I drink a ton of caffeine, my anxiety is going through the roof, and then. Th- 
like I have the energy to work, but my mind is racing, like we talked about, and then I can't focus as well, and it just ends up being pointless, especially like consuming caffeine post maybe 6 p.m., 7 p.m. So how has your caffeine level sort of changed? I guess I'm kind of, I don't like energy drinks, and I don't like coffee. Mm -hmm. So Do you drink at all? I drink Diet Coke. That's kind of my caffeine of choice, and then I drink green tea. Okay. I'm not even a huge black tea fan. When you wake up in the morning, you don't have a cup of coffee? No. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is natural me, imagine. So, um... Crazy people from Olympia, Washington. I know, Olympia, man. Didn't they invent coffee or something here? Yeah, they basically did. I know, so it's weird. Um, So, yeah, I guess, to answer your question, I don't have much of a history with caffeine, I would say. Um, I do know that sometimes when I drink, my anxiety levels go up. Now what, uh, drink alcohol? Drink alcohol, Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but not a lot. I mean, yeah. Have you ever used substances in either, I guess this goes for OCD or ADHD, mm-hmm. substances meaning alcohol yeah. or whatever, um, to manage any of that? No. So I, so I was really bad when I was 19, right? Mm-hmm. And I made a conscious decision when I was younger to not drink till I turned 21. Oh, look at you. I know, golden child. Oh, no, my God. Mainly because in high school, I am a really bad liar. So uh-huh. my parents didn't want me doing that. So I could never lie to them. Yeah. And then when I got to college, I was like, I'm around a bunch of people that I don't know. And I don't know how I'm going to be when I'm drunk. And I don't know if these people would take care of me. See, so, that's why I'm a strong advocate for under-the-age drinking. There you go. I mean... We'll edit that out later. It's yeah, fine. there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think it's good, though, that I didn't drink before I got really bad OCD. Because I was just... It was really bad. Like, mm-hmm. couldn't get out of bed, didn't shower, lost a buttload of weight. And that that's another, another interesting thing I experienced during that time with people being like, I've always slightly struggled with my weight. Um... So I have hypothyroidism, which is not a mental health problem. However, it does have to do with um, hormones in your body. And how we found out about my hypothyroidism was when I was a kid, I had a really hard time sleeping. This goes back to insomnia that you're talking about. And when I was younger, I just had a lot of, I think, anxiety about the fact that everyone else was sleeping and I wasn't. Mm. And I couldn't fall asleep and I'd have really bad abdominal pain. So my parents took me to all these GI specialists, pediatric GI specialists, all this stuff. One day my mom just mentions, we have family history of thyroid disease. Check it. I'm off the charts. Oh, wow. And then that helped me. I was able to sleep better after that. I like became more normal size for an eight-year-old. Oh, wow. And, uh, or 10-year-old, I got diagnosed. And so being hypothyroidism, were you at least overweight, I guess, yeah. as a younger child? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I still technically am, um, but I think, uh, I can't remember what the original question is. Yeah, oh. but we're probably all a little above what we're supposed Yeah, to exactly. Longer. But um, I think, uh, I can't remember where we're going with this, something about... Well, I, uh, that made me think also because, you know, being the fact that you're dealing with hypothyroidism... I know one of the side effects of taking one of those um, potential stimulants for ADHD, whether it be stimu- uh, Ritalin or, you know, whatever they may be, that stunts your appetite quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Now, is that something you've thought about or? I know that since the beginning of med school, I've lost some weight just because I just forget to eat mm. or whatever because we're just so busy and it's like there are long days and you only bring so much food to school. Yeah. Um. I remember what I was going to say now, though. So, because when I was in really sick and I didn't feel like eating, I didn't feel like eating because I felt like whatever thought I was having that was obtrusive while I was eating was like going into the food, and then I would eat the food, and the thought would be in my body now. Wow. So okay. that's why I wouldn't eat for a while. But it was interesting because everyone's like, "Oh my God, you look so great! You lost some weight. Like, yeah. what's your secret?" And it was just interesting because it was the first time I really realized, like, you know, being healthy is and skinnier is only if you worked that way. Yeah. Like I'm like, yeah, it's great that I'm skinnier, but it's because I'm not happy. I'd rather be bigger and happier than skinny and depressed, you know? Yeah. And that was an interesting thing too, because I lost all that weight. My first therapist I saw ever in Colorado was an eating specialist okay. because they thought I had an eating disorder and we did not mesh well, me and that therapist because okay. she didn't know how to deal with OCD. She knew yeah. how to deal with eating disorders but it wasn't an eating disorder. It was a. It was OCD. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, 
interesting well, fact. Well, it's interesting you say that point because we actually used to kind of make that, I guess I'd almost call it a joke, at this one psychiatrist's office that I would shadow prior to medical school. Because with so many mental health medications, a typical side effect, like the one I'm on, Depakote, is weight gain. Mm. And so that keeps a lot of people, I think more specifically females, yeah. mm-hmm. probably from taking that medication because they don't want to gain the weight. And so we always used to say, like, well, would you rather be a little bit more plump and happy or skinny and dead? Yeah. You know, and so we'd make that kind of analogy. But I, I just think that concept of these medications that aren't always the best can have such dire mm-hmm implications whether that be with like the amphetamines that you might be seeking to take Mm -hmm. uh that might stunt your eating which Mm -hmm. might really suck or the meds that i have to take maybe the mood stabilizers that gain weight that yeah yeah makes weight weight challenging weight problems a little bit more challenging yeah Yeah. put it that way it totally is and then i feel like my body's just a big science experiment you know (laughs) with all these things going on but so anyway it's just interesting being osteopathic medical students Mm -hmm. And we learned well, that the body on, is... on the Talk Mental Health with Logan Noon, I haven't really defined osteopathy. Oh, really? So how about let's hear your definition of osteopathy? Well, it's a holistic approach where the body... Can... I want to hear your definition. Oh, my... Not, not the, the one that the interviewees are supposed to spew out when they're interviewing like we saw today. Yeah, exactly. Well... Let's hear yours. So I decided to become an osteopath because mm. I think it's a more... I mean it when I say holistic approach, but also just like the whole person. Like, I think for me, and I think MDs do this too, so I'm not dissing them. Yeah. I think this is medicine in general is trying to move in this direction, but that a human, your patient is a human with more than just physical issues and like mental. And like, I can use myself as an example. Like, yeah, I have hypothyroidism. That's technically a physical issue, but I think you know, some of those things I have experienced through my hypothyroidism with like weight gain and stuff that adds to my um, physical or emotional health, you know, your whole body is related and there's more than just treating a physical health. And so I think learning about patients, unfortunately, the way medical society is now, we just don't have time to get to know all these patients and where they're coming from, because there's so many things that patients might not think of that is affecting their health. Mm -hmm. And so one thing I like about osteopathy is they do try to teach us how to try to incorporate all of that. I think, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, the way our medical system is set up, there's often not time for all of that. But I think knowing how someone's living their life and what's happening with their family, their kids, their pets, whatever, can make a big difference on how someone's feeling. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I like that definition. Yeah, I mean, it's not really... Yeah, I don't like the normal one that we use the OMT. Yeah. But my real definition, because I was describing this to Dr. Walser this morning, when people say, when people find out I have bipolar disorder, normally the first question they ask me is, what med are you on? And people automatically assume that medication can cure or fix these disorders quickly, easily, and 100%. Yeah. And in reality, that's only a minor portion of my management of my bipolar disorder. It's exercise, the meditation, the getting an adequate mm-hmm. amount of sleep, but also eating right, and uh, you know, developing relationships around myself, whether that be with my wife, my family, or new friends at medical school, mm-hmm. but just almost a balance of everything, making yeah. sure I'm not too indelved with medical school, but also yeah. not too passionate about my fun sports, like yeah. golfing and skiing. And so that's really what I like to think of as osteopathic yeah. medicine, where I'm not just going to use these pharmacological yeah. means to solve my patient's problems, but I'll use it as tools, but not not my only thing I want to no. go to. So that's kind of my definition for it. Yeah. But No, I completely agree. I mean, I think you have to study a certain amount and be, you know, astute to what you need to do. But I know that when I'm on my deathbed someday, I'm never going to be like, I wish I had studied more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, you're given one life and everyone has different values. But like for me, it's about the people and the relationships I get to make with people. Yeah. And that's one reason why I want to go into family medicine is it's just I think it's a really good way to get to know people. Yeah. And like, yeah, I want to help them. I'm interested in health. But there's so much that is involved in a human and the thoughts that they think and what they do and who they love and everything like that. And I think mm-hmm. that's a really unique thing we get to do. And it's a privilege as a osteopathic medical student and uh and I think that, you know, dealing with stuff with OCD or bipolar disorder, it makes you that much more compassionate because 
you can relate with people on that certain level. Well, I think more specifically, you know, being a family physician that, you know, you've dealt with hypothyroidism, OCD, mm-hmm. ADHD now, it's just other ways that you're going to make yourself more relatable to your patients. Yeah. Because I think a big problem with medicine is the patients think that we're these up on these, what, ivory pedestals, mm-hmm. they always say, and we're so superior in knowledge, and I really don't feel that way. And we have to be able to relate with our patients if we're going to actually motivate them to take care of themselves. So I think you're going to be a great family physician one day. I'm excited to be in the class of 2021. 2021. Let's go. Let's go, Mustangs. And... I think it's great that you want to do psychiatry, and I think it's funny every time Dr. Elliot's like, oh, you know, statistics are about two of you are going to be psychiatrists or yeah. whatever. And I'm like, yeah, well, Dr. Logan Noon is the perfect guy Dr. for Dr. No one, or Nolan No one, as it's called around our small little community. Or Nolan, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Small community. I'll tell that story at some point on this podcast. Yeah, it was, was pretty funny. That was a pivotal moment. Well, let's just tell it now, I guess. Quick, yeah. little, quick little story to finish off this podcast. <laughs> So I was giving, you can you can kind of chime in what it was like to be in, in the, the stands, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was mental health week at our school, right? Mm-hmm. I was on a panel for insomnia and what mm-hmm. insomnia, well, I guess what sleep is like. Some people had been sleeping too much because of their depression. Me, I had dealt with insomnia, you know, sleeping mm-hmm. too little. So the woman who was organizing this event, Dr. Joyce Daly, very nice woman. Mm-hmm. Very I think nice she's lady. great. She introduces me up on stage in front of what... 250 people mm-hmm. or so as Nolan Noon. <laughs> and so it just kind of started the speech off on an interesting note, and I just kind of ran with it. And I've never made so many jokes throughout a speech, and I've never had such a warm uh, response from the audience. I think probably because I knew most of the audience. Yeah, that's helpful. But, you know, it wasn't the biggest speech I've ever done. But I would say it's probably one of the most memorable speeches yeah. I've ever done. It was and good. the one that was the most fun. Because I just quickly gave my story of bipolar disorder and what I had gone through and how that had tied into insomnia. And I hope, Megan, that you eventually want to maybe pursue some more public speaking like yeah. I'm doing. Because I think you also have a knack for it. I think you yeah. could do a really great job. And some, the similar path that I'm taking in educating people about bipolar disorder, I'm sure you can do the exact yeah. same things with OCD and ADD and... The fact that ADHD is a relatively newer diagnosis mm-hmm. for you, um, I think it's going to be really interesting to kind of see how this plays out. Yeah. And I just want to commend you because you are passing medical school, which I personally know how challenging is. And I'm, yeah, really proud of you and excited for you. Well, thanks for being a friend. I'm glad we can talk about this. And, yeah. Uh, it's nice to know that we're in this together. Yeah, cheers. All right. All right. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to episode two. It means a lot to me that you made it all the way through. I hope you had as much fun as I had. So please subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, share it with your friends. If you haven't yet, visit LoganNoon.com. If you think this podcast sucks, that's fine too. Reach out, give me some comments, but hey, Give me a break. I'm only on episode two. Cut me some slack. Why don't you come back for episode three? It's going to be awesome. It's coming out next week. Please subscribe. The I haven't really woken up until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. McDonald's. I'm loving it.